I want to talk to you about taking aim in, in the new year, and I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and um, I'm, my goal of this message is that it'll rouse your faith and um, help you get disciplined toward it, focused regarding it, and get it. trust the Lord for some details. You know, they say the devil's in the details. I don't know who they are, because really God is the one that knows the number of hairs on our head, and he has a plan, and he's so good, right? God is in the details. You know, um, there are no two ice crystal snowflakes that all the snow that has fallen in all the continents in both poles and all around the planet, they've never been the same. And, um, you know, such is the case with our fingerprints and our irises, aspects of our DNA. It's just fascinating how uh, God has so much diversity and so much variety in humanity, in the plant life, in the animal kingdom, uh, down to the, the smallest detail. And I love, uh, I love this 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because uh, Paul is talking and he says in verse 23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. One place he said, I became all things to all men that I may uh, win some. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Um, He says, though I'm free from all men, in verse 19, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. So he called himself a bondservant. And I want to tell you what he's not saying here. Paul's not a chameleon, um, quick change artist. What he is, is he's studying the lives and the thought patterns and the viewpoints of different groups in order that he could win them to the Lord. And uh, this, this is really, he that is wise wins souls. He says, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. In verse 22, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So in in the case of a church like this or a a ministry couple like us, you know, we, um, when we realize the Lord who is, you know, we were so interested in prayer, we were so interested in winning souls, we were so interested in the nations um, that we you know, initially thought we'd probably move to Europe because we saw it in decline. It was becoming post-Christian at a rapid rate. And so we were going to go live there, and we had such favors, so many open doors. And yet in fasting and prayer, the Lord reminded me of what he said to me originally and as a, in my 21st summer uh, down on Wild Horse Creek Road, build a home base in Chesterfield from which to reach the nations of the world. So he said, you know, hey, I, I you know, I, the, just get back there, and, and so, so here we are, uh, and um, we're building a life here, and we're believing God, and, and things emanate out of the local church, and uh, Jesus said, I'll build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and he said that, and interestingly, in, these con- in the context of 1 Corinthians, you go over to 12 and 14, it talks about the varieties of ministries, but the same spirit, varieties of gifts, and I think about, I think we're at our best when we just get comfortable in our own skin, trust the Lord for wisdom, trust him for details, trust him for direction, 
Know that he, in fact, has a plan. And Paul sets this pattern, and it's inspirational for us. We read this, and we, he said, be imitators, of, of, uh, followers of me as I am of Christ. So he's given a pattern here. And he's saying, uh, listen, um, let's be versatile, let's be adaptable, let's be flexible in order to win people, right? I want to be a soul winner. I want to win people. I want you guys to win in life. And uh, so, so does God. So in verse 24... He asks the question, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Then he says, run in such a way that you may win. So now here's the break in the analogy. You know, it almost sounds fatalistic, like there's only one of you in Corinth that's going to win. So, you know, you better compete, man, and get vigorous about your competition. Because he says to every, he says that, like only one receives the prize. But then he tells all the Corinthians to run in such a way that you may win, right? So he said, only one wins. But he's saying, and, and you know, there's another verse that later, uh, he, he talks about it's not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. So we're actually um, competing for an audience of one. We're not competing with each other. The body of Christ isn't to compete against each other in those crass senses. But yet, he uses, the, there's a break in every analogy, so he's using a sports metaphor. Then he uses another one. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Now, the, the Greco-Roman world, the Hebrews, they all would have understood this because at that time, there was such an interest in the development of, of, of premium athleticism. You know, and here we are, it's Super Bowl weekend. Philadelphia Eagles, Kansas City Chiefs, Sunday night during the prayer meeting. So that's why the Lord motivated somebody to create a DVR so you could come and pray and see it later. But, you know, I remember uh, Chesterfield cop Don Schlemmer, I, I told everybody, don't tell me the score because I wanted to go home and play it. And he, he, he came up to me after the prayer meeting. I guess he was in the foyer. And he, he said, and he, and he told me. I'm still mad at him about this. I'm still, I'm still trying to deal with it. <clears throat> but there's something about self-control. Everybody say self-control. Good news about self-control is that it's the fruit of the Spirit. I grew up near um, a, a Marine base, Camp Pendleton in California, and U.S. Marines few good men and they I mean I saw them work out I saw them running I saw you know we had the the port during the Vietnam War we saw a lot of Navy ships we saw a lot of Air Force air you know just um, it, it, and so I saw the disciplines that the population had to endure when they were drafted and um, but then I also saw people that didn't get discipline and, in, you know, some of us are highly disciplined and some of us aren't. But the good news is when you get uh, the new birth, one of the results of the new birth, uh, in addition to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, is also self-control. So if you've been aggressive, the Lord can move on your heart. I talked to two different guys this week. Um, one guy... He grew up with his brothers, like five brothers, and they were scrappers. They fought. They were bodybuilders. They were, you know, they solved things by fighting. And another guy, too, a martial arts, a really tough guy, and both of them, you wouldn't know it, as gentle as they've become. 
David said, your gentleness has made me great. And meekness is not weakness, it's power under control. And also, self-control uh, isn't just like, I'm going to just try to be a disciplined person. And, 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 I, and there's a book written about discipline. And the guy warned people. He said, if you know, when you develop a lot of discipline, you've got to deal with pride because you become proud about how self-disciplined you are. And so that's a, that's a complex thing. But, I mean, what helps me, like I wanted to be in the Marines I, from the time I was about in the third grade. Uh, because I guess I, I saw um, their, the respectable nature of, of their, their disciplines and their, their role, you know. And, um, but I, I, that wasn't, that's not how it worked out with me. The draft ended before I got of that age. I had a draft card, but it, it didn't happen. And Vietnam finished before I could be drafted. And, uh, you know, I would have probably made that move. But God called me into his army, you know. And he's called you. And whether you were highly disciplined growing up, I have a friend whose dad disciplined him by doing laps and push-ups. So the outcome was he was super buff when all the rest of us were scrawny. So the dad, you know, uh, gave him a good discipline. and He was disciplined, you know. Uh, the, way he, the way he underlined his Bible and everything, he just was very disciplined, still is. And uh, you sometimes feel like, oh, you know, we're, we're, to, we're to discipline ourselves. And how do I do that? I mean, I, 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 I grew up on, on a weed farm touring with the Grateful Dead. You know, that's kind of, right, you know? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I appreciate it. It was all 70s just then. But uh, so whether, no matter what your past, God will help you. And Paul determined to become all things to all men. Uh, and he said, um, he said, run in such a way that you may win. And then he, and he says, he says uh, they then, he says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I was meditating on this verse the summer of 77, the year that that was the period where Elvis died. And there, on the Wheaties box, there was a particular athlete that uh, had won the, a major, major Olympic, uh, like one of the most difficult uh, Olympic uh, uh, races or competitions, the decathlon. And I was looking at this, and I was feeling, again, he's, he's, he's amazingly buff. There's a drawing of him run, breaking the, the finishing line. And I had just worked my, my, my clerk job at the mall, and I was working my way through school and uh, trying to figure out, you know, what to do with my life. And when I saw that, I was inti intimidated about it. But then God was showing from this verse, they're running for a perishable wreath. In that case, a gold medal. But we, an imperishable. Let me just calibrate your thinking for a minute. Get you thinking about spiritual things. You are made in God's image and God is the spirit. And you are spirit, soul, and body. And you, once you were, you know, before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. And, and upon conception, uh, the, the, this thing all converged, and then you popped out into this world, and you're an eternal being. You're an eternal being, and, and invited to connect with an eternal God, and to carry the substance of eternal truths. So this verse is really telling us, hey, the sports people, the runners, the boxers, 
the, the, you know, the people that the baseball, football this weekend have to discipline themselves. They train, you know, um, uh, the, we had Don Davis here and he was, he was the strength coach for the uh, New England Patriots with Belichick and all the, 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 the premium, they kept winning, you know, and, uh, they work out a specific way so they can withstand uh, the hits. They can, they can be uh, uh, injury-proof instead of prone. Uh, they can run faster. I, I was watching a, a play, a, a, a color commentary on a play, and the guy said, that's why those linebackers have to exercise and weight, build, weight lift so much so they can withstand that. And it was like, as a novice, I was watching it going, oh, wow. And I think that about the church. And Paul is saying these things to us as men and women, kids, long-distance runners, whatever age bracket, whatever experience you've had. He's saying, man, run in such a way that you may win. In your marriage, get it, work on it. It's more important than you realize. With your kids, train them up, make it count, instill the gospel in them, model godly behavior before them with your neighbors. Figure out a way to win them to the Lord, to keep them from going to hell. And um, I remember looking at that box. I poured some Wheaties. I made some c- cereal, you know. Um, the, Jerry Seinfeld's favorite food is cereal. I mean, it's just easy, you know. So, it's, it, so I ate it, and then I, I, I remember going for a walk. I walked past 109, down past the firehouse. I sat in a field, and I had a wonderful encounter with the Lord. Uh, you know, at one point, I felt like I was all alone. I, I mean, I, I had options. I could have gone to Denny's and fellowship with a bunch of people. I could have, uh, you know, gone to bed early. I worked 12 hours that day, I think. And, uh, but I, I picked, and I had this time with God, and I had this such an, uh, I can't even describe the, the richness of the encounter I had in this field, sitting amongst the, you know, just in the bushes, just sitting there off the side of the road where, you know, when it wasn't populated out there, just having a time talking with God. And um, it was all about this. It was all about the future. It was all about now. And um, God has plans for you. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13, he says, uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Now, he was telling that to the exiles, uh, 70 years of captivity with Babylon, which was not a good and pleasant experience or a a particularly exciting environment. But he says, even in this bad situation, in this context for ancient Israel, I've got great plans for you. And then for the early church, the same thing was the case. In the Roman Empire, I've got great plans for you, church. And in the end times, he's when it's difficult times, he says, church, I have great plans for you. Discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. It says, it says, he says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. Uh, but I discipline my, my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is what Paul's saying. He's, he's turning it back on him and he's saying, you guys run in such a way that you may win. And then he says, I'm doing the same thing. I am staying with this thing. Everybody say discipline. discipline. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 6 through 8. And I'm going to navigate through this with you. You guys here? You good? Um, 
so this is, this is important stuff. Uh, it says in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, uh, it says uh, about preaching about the, it's, it's the latter times, the people will fall away from the faith, but you stay with it. And then he says, in, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. So Paul's telling Timothy what to preach, and he says, and as you point these things out to the saints, uh, it's going to nourish people with words of faith. They're going to develop sound doctrine, and they're not going to be tossed to and fro. They're not going to uh, drift off and you know, yield the doctrines of demons and deceitful spirits. Then he says in verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Now that, that doesn't fit after the feminist movement but what Paul is basically saying is uh, what he just said there, which is intense. But anyway, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Let's get back. Don't get stuck on that last point. Discipl- on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Could you say that? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Say that again. Discipline yourself for the purpose of of godliness. Now, Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 9 that he buffeted his body, made it his slave, so that after, you know, he wanted to make sure he was impactful, he was effective. We had to discipline and train our minds. You know, at some point, we've got to choose what we, we want to follow. It's, you know, I, I, God, you know what? This is the most plausible thing I've found. I'm going to walk with Jesus, right? And, and, and I'm going to stick with it. And I had a friend tell me, oh, you'll be in it for five years and you'll be out of it. Game on, man. It was like, God used that. Because I just was like going to outlast that guy's prediction. And it's been 50 years since I got saved and the Lord's been good to me. So how do you say nanny, nanny, nanny go to somebody? You know, I don't know. In your face with grace, brother. All right. He says, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, or or bodily exercise is is profitable only in in a measure, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also, wow, for the life to come. That sounds so similar to what Paul said, they a perishable wreath, we an imperishable wreath. You watch Grammy Awards, Academy Awards. Look, I've been with people that won Grammy Awards, Academy Awards. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, uh, Colin, was it Colin Firth who won for the King's Speech? And he got up and, and, and he, he got the, uh, the Oscar for the uh, Actor of the Year, and he got up and he went, oh, I was just listening to the sound of my career declining. And, and, and they all kind of nervously laughed, you know, like, oh, you know, because... Because, right, it, because statistically, after people want, that, that doesn't give them more roles, it doesn't you know, make them you know, any taller, any smarter, you know, or any more beautiful or anything. And he, he just pointed it out with his quick British wit, you know. And um, it's a perishable wreath. And, and it, you know, it, it, it's an amazing thing. You know, I, I, I've seen, you know, I've, I, I've been there watching like you have, and it's exciting to see people win. The exhilaration, it's exciting. But nothing more amazing than uh, winning uh, 
God's face shining on you. Winning the flow of yieldedness to him and growing up in him. Winning people from darkness to light. Isn't it one of the greatest deals to see somebody get saved? And, 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 and here's, here's just what, what Paul is telling Timothy. He goes into verse 8. He says, Bodily discipline is only for a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So there's value in discipline. And discipline, by definition, is control gained by enforcing obedience or order. Control gained by enforcing obedience or order. And um, you notice in the New Testament, Jesus didn't say, you are going to do what I tell you to do. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He said, for I am gentle or meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So as I'm preaching this to you, I'm just wanting to encourage you that um, the Lord will help us in our discipline. Um, The hand of the diligent shall rule. And... um, the Lord Jesus is calling us as, a, as, as followers of Jesus to follow him. And um, Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, meaning he, he lived in his earthly life uh, prayerful and dependent on his father. He said, I only do what I see my father doing. So we are to discipline ourselves to pay attention to this book and to the prompting and, and, and guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? And we discipline ourselves like... like the boxer. So we're not just, you know, I, I was told that if a boxer puts effort into a, a punch and, and misses, it, it could really throw their shoulder out, right? So Paul said, I, I don't want my, I don't want to flail my arms in the air. I want my blows to count at work. You want your, you know, your efforts to translate. And I was thinking about two different men in the church in, a, in an economic hardship on their companies, saving several people their jobs and saving millions of dollars for the company. It happened when you're both guys, two different guys. Um, and, and, and I thought, that makes that their blows counted. And whoever, you know, the company was blessed to have people that were disciplined, that, had, that were following God and bringing the culture of the kingdom into that atmosphere. Right? I mean, man... When the anointing gets on us, it changes things. And the anointing is the presence of power of the Holy Spirit. So it, it, it's, it's whatever you put your hand to, whatever you're doing. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul built tents. Uh, Peter was a fisherman, right? And there's an anointing on those actions. There, there, are, there are things God does through people. There was a, a friend of, of my wife's family, his name was Randy Meesey, and he was a godly man, and he worked for the electric company, and he went up the ladder of the company, but he always was humble, and he was always serving, and he used the atmosphere of his work to radiate Jesus, right? And this is, this is what I feel God is really saying to us, is to, is to organize 
and plan for, for the new year around this. And, and um, orderly conduct, self-control, uh, training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects uh, the mental faculties or moral character. And I believe the development of our spirit as we walk with God and we discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, uh, there's going to be tremendous uh, insight and focus and detail, right? So the discipline uh, prepares us for God to download some key directives. You, you with me on that? Now, there's a verse in, in, uh, in, in Job, and i got to find it now. It's right here. Let's see. i got to see where I put it. I put it. i got to discipline myself where I put my notes. And uh, once I get it, then you'll know I got it. Oh, hallelujah. I broke into a sweat just now. Come on, here it comes. I'm finding it. Wow. Has this ever happened to any of you? It's, I know I'll find it in the back room. But it's about God strengthening us and putting his hand on us in such a way that we can get the job done. And um, I want to go to 2 Kings chapter 13, and I want to read something to you about the end of Elisha's life and something that happened with a bow, a bow and arrows. So while you're turning there, I'm going to go get my bow and arrow. So I don't know where my notes went, but I do know where my bow and arrow is. All right. You guys still with me? Everything good? I just talked about discipline, and then I got all sloppy. So the Lord knows how to help you to just need him. This is a recurve bow, and it's a really nice one. When I was a kid, I had a real cheap, um, sort of yellowish fiberglass bow. And um, I really loved to shoot it when I was a Boy Scout. We'd get a hay bale, and we'd put a target on it, and we'd practice and practice, and we'd compete with each other, and it was a fun thing, you know. And it was, and I don't, don't try this at home, but we used to love to go and shoot them up in the air and stand there and see where they'd land. That was stupid. That was, youth is wasted on the young. And that was before I was saved, and my angels were going, God, are you sure about this one? But I remember when I was a scrawny little kid, and the bow was probably as tall as me, just trying to take it from being relaxed and trying to bend it, uh, it was really hard. And, um, but then, uh, 
I found that, that when I got this bow, the guy in the archery department at, at the, the, the sporting goods store told me about this, uh, this stringer, this bow stringer. So it, it, it's really amazing because um, it's, it's kind of like a power assist. So all you have to do is put your foot on it. It has two caps on the end. And then you can slide the string up, and it'll, and then it'll, you can just take it off, and it's just golden. And now you're ready. See? Isn't that awesome? So you don't have to, so, so what I used to have to do is lean on it, and it can mess it up. But this thing is such a help. It's a, it's a, it's a string helper. And it reminds me of the Holy Spirit how he'll come in and he'll help us. And he, in the ancient period, bows uh, represented a protection in warfare, and it also represented uh, gathering food, right? So bows were really important in the, in the Bible uh, days. And in this period in Elisha's life, in chapter uh, 14, uh, 13, verse 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Elisha became sick with the illness of which he was to die. Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over him and said, my father, my father. He said, the chariots, did I say 2 Kings? 2 King. Did I do good? Am I doing good? Yeah. Um, have I recovered from not having my note? Because this is imprinted in my mind. Good thing he writes his word in your heart and your mind so that I don't have to have that one particular paper that I will find and I'll go, oh, there it was. Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. Everybody say, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand. Now see, the king is like, he sees Elisha is dying and there's such a power in help from Elisha in the life of, of the nation. And the guy's just like, oh, what are we going to do now? And he goes, get a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And now listen to this. Then Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And I think about that, the, the, the imagery of that, that stringer that helps. Did you see how easy it was for me? Now to try to do this in your own power is, is really hard. But when you have help or God's hand on it he can turn things around and um, you know he, he said to him open the window toward the east and he opened it and Elijah said shoot everybody say shoot. shoot now this isn't Christian cussing here he actually meant for him to shoot that and, and he shot and he said the Lord's arrows of victory the Lord's arrows of victory even the arrow of the victory over Aram, for you will defeat the Arameans at, at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And so in this case, you know, the king needed the prophet's hand on him. And in our example in the New Testament, the church, we need that power and presence of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. To help us. In, in our particular role and, and responsibility and pursuits. And it started out with Paul saying, 
Look, I'm, I'm becoming all things to all men so I can win souls. And then he said, uh, you know, anybody that runs in a race, only one wins. But then he tells all of us, run in such a way that you may win. And I feel like when Elisha told the king, get your bow and arrow, I feel like the Lord was telling Paul to tell the Corinthians, get your bow and arrow, get your boxing gloves, get your, your running shoes, you know, get, your, get your, uh, uh, your, your discipline for the purpose of godliness yeah. so you can get focused yeah. and not be scattered fire. In fact, he said to him, um, open the window toward the east. Now, there, there are windows all probably all around the building, south and north, he says, open it toward the east. And then he says, and that's because he knew that's where the proximity of his problem was or, or the place where he was to uh, invest his time and advance the kingdom or, or however that goes. And so he, he said, do it. Then he said, take the arrows. And he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he took the arrows and he struck the ground three times. So it, this is interesting to me also because... Uh, when he struck it three times and then he stopped, then the man of God, Elisha, got angry with him and said, you should have struck the five or six times. So, which I think is interesting. It's like, well, you didn't tell me that. But, but, but basically, I think this is a statement of, man, believe God for more. Don't just settle. And, and he said, then you would have struck Aram until you would have destroyed it, but now you will strike Aram only three times. And sure enough, as, as we read this, that they were empowered for that le level. In, in the New King James, of, of, I think it's in Psalm 78, one of the sad things of the occasion of Israel in the wilderness is they limited the God of Israel. And I think Elisha was basically saying to the king, look, I'm not about ready to go the way of my fathers like everybody does. And you don't have to, you know... You don't need me. I, you, let, just come here. Get your bow and put your hand on it. I'll put your hand on it. And I feel like the Holy Spirit has put his hand since the ascension on the church and on our bow and on our arrows and on the purposes that God has for us. And uh, we, we just need to strike the ground multiple times. The other story in the Bible where the lady had uh, uh, vessels. And, and you remember where they kept pouring and pouring and the oil. And, uh, and as long as they brought vessels, the oil kept flowing. And But when they stopped bringing vessels, it stopped flowing. I think there's a principle here that Elisha's bringing out. I think there's a principle there that, like, like don't just settle for, uh, you know, Jerusalem, Judea. Let's go for the uttermost parts of the earth. Let's, let, let's believe God. And Lord, what window do you want me to shoot out of? And God... What kind of help do I need? Amen. You know, even in this message, discipline yourselves, we could start going, you know, oh, I got I to gotta do this better, and I got to pray more, and I got to, or God, I'm looking to you for your hand to be on my bow. Yeah. I'm looking for you to guide me and make my, my arrows true, yeah. and the fletching on them to, to, to not separate, and for the, the trajectory of it, to, to hit the mark. Come on, right? So uh, this is pretty good. And you're, you're hoping I do not put an arrow in this bow. And, you, sh and, and I, you should be hopeful that I won't do that. In Proverbs 4.25, uh, it's basically eyes up here. It's let your eyes look directly ahead 
and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. How many people have read throughout the scriptures, uh, uh, don't anxiously look about you, it says in Isaiah 41.10. Don't anxiously look about you. In, in, Jer- in Joshua chapter 1, don't look to the left or the right. Uh, in the gospel, it says, we're not, we put our hand to the plow, we're not to look back. In Philippians, Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on, right? Right, Sossmans? That's what you're doing, right, Dana? I pray for you today, and you're doing that. And this scripture is so powerful. Eyes straight ahead. Look at this. And let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Um, There is so much distraction, weapons of mass distraction, but we discipline ourselves. We train ourselves. We we take hold of this as a governing Aspect of our aspect of our conduct, we 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 train ourselves and prepare, and we we trust God for details. Jeremiah thirty three three, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Hallelujah, and uh, the the Lord He'll help us, He'll guide us, and uh, He'll give us wisdom about like our, my daughter sharing that testimony about uh, people uh, being hurtful to her. Um, and, uh, you know, she just, and God just started walking her through it, what to do, not to fixate on it. Her husband had a word for her, like, let's just don't, just don't say anything. It was like, so that was like a prophetic, you know, get your hand on the bow, and now God's putting his hand on it. Like what she said, you know, if you type out the text, write it on paper, don't put it on your phone, because you may end up sending it, Right? Sleep on it. Everybody say sleep on it. Sleep. Count to 10 or count to a million. And, uh, you know, leave room for the wrath of God. He'll show us what to do. Come on. Hallelujah. That young man got excited, or lady, or whoever it was. Details. Listen, God has attention to details. God has attention to details. Let's close with Song of Solomon 2, 15 through 16. Song of Solomon. That's the book. Parents tell their kids not to read, and then they go home, and they're in the flashlight reading Song of Solomon. It's like a romance. It's like a romance novel from, from King Solomon. So, Song of Solomon. Uh, let, let's pull it up on the screen, and I'm going to read it to you. This will be my last. Are you guys good? It's not even 9 o'clock yet. I'm doing great. Other than not finding that piece of paper, I pretty much got out what I wanted to say because God helped me. But, but uh, let's see, Song, Song of Solomon 215, uh, 2.15. Uh, yeah, they're going, they're, they're going to something spicy up there. Um, <laughs> Song of Solomon. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, the, see, the computer went crazy back there. It was too hot for the computer. You Bible readers know what I'm talking about here. Don't read this book, kids. <laughs> Uh, This is detail. Catch the foxes for us. Look, the little foxes are ruining the vineyards. While our vineyards are in blossom. And then it goes on and it says, My beloved is mine and I am his beloved. His pastures, his flocks among the lilies uh, until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away. Okay, so I just had to put the romance part, turn to my beloved. Okay, I just wanted to put a little romance on there. But to tell you... um, that it's the little things that matter. In the negative, the little foxes would spoil the vines. 
My brother and I grew up in Southern California where there were great vineyards. I even had a job clean, uh, picking uh, grapes one year just as a kid. And I remember uh, um, taking our, our, uh, uh, a kite out there with our grandma, and we, 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 the wind was blowing so fast through those mountains, it was amazing. But I remember all the grape vineyards, and they would have, you know, it was a big deal, the culture around all that grape vineyard stuff. And in the Bible days, you know, the little foxes would crawl in and chew uh, and, uh, the, the, the roots, and they would spoil the vine. Little things, little subterranean things. So as we discipline ourselves, as we focus, I believe the Lord will help us um, to, to, to find, identify which window he wants us to aim our arrows through in, in 2023, right? I'm thinking about this as a pastor and in ministry and what we're called to, um, 24 hours a day, you know. Um, but I'm also seeing this as applied to whatever areas the Lord's called you to in your work, in your home, in your family, in your, your, your social life, your relationships, your neighbors, you know, your decisions, your hobbies, everything. Listen, Jesus, he has gifted you. He knows the talents he's put in you. He knows the things, the properties he's embedded in you that are unique to you. And aren't you glad that he'll put his hand on you and show you where, which way to aim your, aim your bow and your arrows, which window to shoot through? And I just want, to, I want you to all stand up because, listen, whatever it is, you know, he says, beat the ground with your arrows. And the guy goes, one, two, three. You know, it's like, What? You should have been doing it like playing a, you know, like a drum set out, you know, like a wipeout or something, you know. And because uh, with, with God, all things are possible. Like we could get anywhere from here, right? So I love watching people get water baptized because they're laying aside the old things and they're walking to newness of life, right? And I celebrate with that. Every time I see that, it pushes a reset in me. And I get excited about it. Hallelujah. So we discipline ourselves. Uh, we, we, we don't ignore the times. We're trusting God. I believe he'll help us sprinkle more reality into our conversations than we've ever allowed before. And we don't have to worry about coming across hyper-religious because we're not hyper-religious. But we're hyper-saved. And so we'll just, it's the language of our lives. The Lord's been so good to us. Has the Lord been good to you? So we carry that and we, we try to incorporate that and just steer it toward that. As I, I watch my wife do this with just about everybody, even in the drive-thru. Hey, remember Jesus loves you? And say, Excuse me? And so then it's like, you know, she just gets to talk a little bit more to him. And, she, and it's not obnoxious. It's not weird because she's, she, God's putting his hand on it. Let, let, let's lift up our hands to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your supernatural protection that you would even allow us to be alive at this point. Thank you for bringing us through so much garbage in life. Thank you for helping us out, even our own self-inflicted stuff and our own failings. You've been so merciful to us. You've been so good to us, and we're so thankful to you for your mercies, Lord. In case there's anyone here who's not opened their heart to Jesus, I pray tonight would they repent and submit, submit and surrender to you. And this would be the day of new beginnings, Lord. 
I pray people that have been in depression or discouragement or anxiety, that those things would break off now in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that the limits would be taken off. The restraints that the world's trying to put on us would come off. And God, we would rise up into a new level. And God, I'm asking you to help us. We're calling upon you. And you said you'd show us great and mighty things that we know not. Let's all pray this together. Heavenly Father, I trust you. 2023 is going to be a year of accomplishment, achievement, and fruitfulness. Thank you for your help. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for showing us what to do. Stir a hunger in my heart for this book, your Bible, for prayer, Lord. Provide opportunities for me to communicate the gospel to people everywhere I go. I see more and more people saved, more healings, more people set free. And the U-City Loop, the Central West End, in St. Charles, on Main Street, all up and down 40, 44, 70, 270, 170, all round about us. The bi-state area, St. Louis, covered by the blood of Jesus. New beginnings for young people, singles and marrieds. Uh, move mightily on our community, Lord. Have your way, Father. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this as we go. And when I think of all you've done and all the battles you brought me over, hallelujah. storms I saw you call in my defense my only song is hallelujah and how he hand on his hand I just pray that that there's such a focus such detail you get such clarity so that your energies don't dissipate your your foot you take aim and you're focused you're you're not boxing as flailing your arms in the air you're running in such a way that you may win and I pray for a supernatural season of breakthrough and winning in your life 
in the name of Jesus. Come on, I have faith for this. You in agreement with me? In Jesus' name. Everybody say, hallelujah. 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 something as we go one thing I read about this is you you don't leave a bow sitting um, all strung all the time because it'll ruin the bow and that's why the Lord gives us seasons of rest that's why there are seasons and so you, you take so he'll often he'll take the pressure off of our lives and prepare us so we're ready Say, with long life, he'll satisfy me. And he'll show me his salvation. So don't feel bad about the times when your string isn't tight. Because God's just letting you be ready and getting you rested and prepared. I've had this thing for a long time. I intend to keep it in good shape, keep the string right, so I can give it on to my kids or their, their kids. You know? And, and uh, God has given us something that the gates of hell can't prevail against. He's the, he's the head of the church, and he has a plan, and it's coming to pass. Say, God's plans are coming to pass in my life. In Jesus' name, lay your hands on yourself and say, in Jesus' name, I'm gonna have a good year this year. Greater fruit, more achievement, less stress, greater peace, Jesus exalted, God's will in Jesus' name.